Hey there, conductors. If you've ever felt that you're not quite sure what to do next when you're studying a score, maybe you don't even know where to start with a difficult piece. Maybe you study one piece too much and then you realize at the first rehearsal that you don't know another one well enough. Or maybe you're a new conductor and you don't know what score study is. I'm excited to share that I'm finally publishing and sharing my score study checklist. I've been refining this for 12 years now, and I'm so excited to share it. It is going to walk you through my structure, my process to make sure that I learn every score that I need to learn well enough and so that nothing falls through the cracks. So it covers everything that you need to know. There's a link in the show notes. Go ahead and click it, sign up, and you'll get that score study checklist sent right to your email. You'll also get access to an eight-minute video of me explaining what each section is and how I use it to organize all the music that I need to learn. It's only eight minutes, so it's not going to take you a whole hour to learn how to study better, how to put up a process for your score study and how to make sure that nothing is falling through the cracks. So again, click the link in the show notes, and I hope to see you soon. Now, please enjoy this episode of Podium Time. Welcome to Podium Time, the podcast for conductors and students. People just didn't realize that there even were women in history writing music. Yeah, I was 30 when I discovered my first female composer. And the only black male composer I knew was, of course, Scott Joplin. And it's just seen as so normal, but it makes no sense. Like, sorry, the world is half women. With like, why would we not compose music? Like, it doesn't make any sense. The world's 20, 25% people of color. Why why are they not composing classical music? Like, it doesn't just make sense that only this tiny proportion of people write music. And welcome to Podium Time. I'm your host, Jeremy D. Cuevas, and today Luke and I are excited to share another great interview with you. In this episode, we talk with Elizabeth DeBrito, host of The Daffodil Perspective. Elizabeth's gender-inclusive radio show has been running for about two years now, and she's discovered and shared mountains of music that, unfortunately, you've never heard by women and composers of color that, unfortunately, you've probably never heard of. Today we talk about the issues that we must overcome to create a more inclusive art form, how to approach advertising and programming to move from tokenism to true inclusion, and why you should base your career on something that you are angry about. As always, I'd like to extend a huge thank you to our supporters on Patreon who help keep the lights on here at Podium Time. If you'd like to support the show for as little as $1 a month and get some cool goodies like early access to each episode or updates every time we record an interview, head over to patreon.com slash podiumtimepod or click on the support button in your podcast player. Links and timestamps are in the show notes below, and please don't forget to check out The Daffodil Perspective at thedaffodilperspective.com. But now, please enjoy this interview with Elizabeth DeBrito. Well, thank you for joining us on Podium Time. We are here with Elizabeth DeBrito. Elizabeth, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, guys. So I've, I've been really... We've been really excited to talk to you. Um, I've been listening to Daffodil Perspective for a while, and um, you know Luke, Luke loves discovering new music and new composers. So, um, th- so first of all, I just wanted to start off thanking you for for doing this for um, you know for the past couple of years and, and continuing with it. Could you introduce us to the Daffodil Perspective? You know what what is this show? Uh, yeah, so the Daffodil Perspective is it's a show championing women. Um, it's a gender balanced racially equitable and inclusive radio show that champions uh, women composers and yeah i started it nearly two years ago uh, to champion women i was completely sick of there being no female composers i only just discovered that there were some so i was just completely furious that, that i hadn't heard of any of these people before i was like i've got to do something about it so I thought, yeah, I've done community radio. I'll do a radio show and play all these amazing women. And uh, I think, and I thought um, I always wanted to include men as well. I didn't want it to be just all female show because I think like segregation just leads to more bias. It means more that we talked about women's music being inferior. So I wanted to be inclusive. Um, 
And now it's become more, yeah, I make it specifically racially equitable as well. Mm. I make it point to include everybody. Uh, and that's what that's what I really want it to be like in our society. Uh, yeah. yeah class, the classical music, uh, not just the narrow version that's portrayed in mainstream orchestras and radio shows and uh, concerts, but just mm-hmm. like what classical music is really about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean the repertoire that we the repertoire that we normally know is is there's already so much of it, but but you illuminate this whole other chasm that that you know we don't hear or have any awareness of. Um, so could you talk about you know where where did where did you start finding these composers? Who was who was kind of the the one that kicked that off? And uh, so the one that kicked that off, Florence Price. I have to talk about her. Anyone who knows me knows I am a little bit obsessed with Florence Price. Like, there's a reason. Yeah, she was. She wasn't the first female composer that I'd heard of. That was Elizabeth Lutyens, but she was the first one that I really related to. I really connected. She's mixed race like me. Um, she suffered from extreme se- racism and sexism as I did, and her music is just phenomenal. I mean, it was just like lighting a spark. It was just like lightning bolts complete brilliance that um that i just never heard and it was just complete it was just amazing for me uh, to hear her music and then and she kind of led me down this rabbit hole of just finding um all these women i mean it's it's surprisingly easy like so i started with the don women in music the big list they created this big list of over six thousand female composers like from the 11th century all the way up to now, there's absolutely thousands of them. And um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do. I am. Um, there's a lot more information on the internet. Um, lots of it's going fairly deep, so I, I do really in-depth research. Like I look at dissertations and books and articles and websites and stuff. But yeah, so there's a fair amount of trawling through internet. Um, not just page one of Google. Um, yes, yeah, so that's kind of how I. Yeah, I've found lots of them and I was searching on, I did a fair amount of searching for female composers on like Presto Classical. There's a few recording, a lot of recordings of women and then I found more and more from every era and yeah. Mm-hmm. What is it about, what is it specifically about Price's music that, that really spoke to you? So for me, it was like, music it's it's so wrapped up in her identity I think for me it was like I was be I've always felt incomplete I always so I'm a mixed race woman I grew I was born and raised in Britain amongst mostly white people it's predominantly white obviously the classical music industry is predominantly white and I was the only one you know I was the only mixed race kid in my year I was in doing music so I just felt really out of place then and I've really felt like I belonged and Florence Price's music is also like that in that she she was mixed race and she was surrounded by white people and in the classical music industry and her music is is so yeah, like the way she incorporates African-American spirituals from her, pa- her parents and that she grew up with in church and surrounded by the western classical music that she was exposed to uh, when she went to Boston Conservatory, um, and then she would have learned, and it's just, and it's it's kind of like her identity and mine, really, and it it makes me feel like I'm whole, you know. It's not like there's this dissonance, which I always felt like, you know, it's a dissonance between like, oh, I'm not really British, I'm not really um, council music because I'm mixed race or whatever. It's um, so I always felt no like, belong, but France by like. You know, it's okay. All these parts of your identity, they're here and they're okay, and you can express them all, and it works and it's fine. And that was really it for me. It's just like I, I've got, yeah, I've got two sides to my identity. You know, my grandmother's were doing that. Like, yeah, this is me, and I'm whole. I'm, I'm one. I'm not, you know, I'm not feeling um, distorted. I'm not feeling. Um, you know, comment, I feel like I belong, and that was what her music was like for me. It was like this lightning bolt, just feeling, finally, you know, feeling safe and secure in who I am. I think. Mm. Yeah. What was the first piece of hers that you heard? 
Symphony in E minor. Okay. So good. Symphony in E minor. It's just it's it's my favorite piece of classical music. Oh, yeah, that's that's a tall yeah. <laughs> um, it absolutely is. Um, uh, my favorite piece of classical music. The first the first movement I heard and it was just like mind blowing. And then the second movement, it's just this really calm piece that every time I listen to it, it just makes me feel really at peace. And just really happy, just really calm and just content with how everything else is going on. Like, it doesn't matter what everything else is going on, but I'm centered. Okay. It's just, it's just amazing. It's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, everything else she's written is amazing. Her piano sonata is phenomenal. Fantasy Negras are unbelievably brilliant and her art songs are, are genius. I mean, everything she writes is amazing. But yeah, that's the first one. That's the first piece of hers I heard. Do you do you get to hear her music live very often, or is it all recordings? I sadly have only heard her music live once, hmm. unfortunately. Um, I kind of because I kept through. Um, I was just really busy, and kind of never. There were there were a few concerts in Britain that were playing her music, but not many, and I can get away like with day jobs and all the rest of it and I heard her music once uh illuminate women's music they played Florence Price piece the end of last year or the beginning of this year mm-hmm. and then obviously the uh, <laughs> lockdown and everything so yeah uh, yeah I haven't been hearing that so yeah I've only heard her music once live yeah that's I mean I've 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 only heard her in in recordings one of my one of my orchestras is is doing a short piece of hers later this season so I'm I'm really excited to to actually do some of it live so that's yeah if anything when looking at composers that are less known one of the most unfortunate aspects of that is it's really hard to find performances of them and you kind of only are left with you know a single recording if not maybe one more that someone else has done and beyond that there's really not much else because they just aren't performed yeah you tend to find that much more with black female composers actually yeah you get that with women and you get that so much more with black female composers um they yeah you'll have maybe one recording of a short piece that they've done and that's it. So yeah, it's it's much more difficult to find performances and recordings of their music to hear, you know, what it's like. Yeah. Or you'll or you'll have no recordings of any of their music. I know that's that's something I've I've seen on your website and and you've mentioned a couple times. It's just some of these composers that are just nothing recorded. Yeah, Shirley Grind Boyce and Avril Collins Taylor. I'm dying to hear their music. <laughs> They're the two ones that I'm just like I want to hear so badly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, especially once you start studying the composer and kind of figuring out their life and how they grew up, you kind of start to form that idea in your head of like maybe what their music might sound like. And that first time that you actually get to hear their musical voice, it is so exciting. Absolutely, yeah. Um, especially when researching, because there's yeah, there's loads of information, and you kind of I always having that recently. Um, yeah, um, with Julia Perry, it was just like hearing about her. And yeah, it's really incredible to hear a composer when you've like, built up this idea of them from their experiences in your mm-hmm. mind. And then you hear and you hear what they have to say, because that's what, that's what their art's about. That's what art's about. It's about talking about your experiences, talking about your life, but, you know, putting it out there. Mm-hmm. So, so Daffodil Perspective started uh, to promote to promote female composers, right? And how has that how has that changed over the past two years? I don't think it's cha- I, am, I don't think it's changed so much. It's sort of evolved. Okay. Because um, I so it has changed quite a lot. So I think when I started it, like I said, it was to promote female composers it wasn't specifically going to be gender balanced but it sort of was just by how it sort of how I set it up really how it kind of for the format just kind of worked and then I was like well I might as well just be specific gender balance this is the easiest way to kind of promote it and create gender balance and equality this sounds like a good idea um so yeah it did specifically be about women composers and then I was like, 
and then about last year, I thought, like, hold on a sec, this is just mostly white. I'm not including any black composers. This this isn't working for me. So um, I was like, I need to include some. And then with this year and then Black Lives Matter and that, I, re- I realized that I hadn't really included. I still wasn't including enough women of color or men of color. And that was pretty horrifying for me because I was like, all right, still very, very whitewashed. So how to make, and I don't, yeah, this is this isn't something that I wanted to put across on my show. Um, this isn't, isn't something I believe in. Um, so, um, I mean, so now it's 50% women of color, 50% people of color, actually, because it's 50% women. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's basically yeah, 25% women of color, 25% white women, 25% men of color, and 25% white men in general, um, and as diverse as possible. So I make sure I include black and Asian and Latino people on like, pretty much every show. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's still about championing women always, um, but yeah, it's yeah, making sure I'm championing all women, not just white women. Yeah. It's very important. And one thing I really like about your show, and you know, we we it, it's very normal right now to be talking about championing, um, you know, composers of color. But what what you do, I think, um, that I really like is is that you make a point to also play recordings by performers of color. And I think that's something that just doesn't get talked about as much. I mean, we focus 100% on the composer, um, but there there are so many uh, black and and other uh, you know classical musicians out there so I, I love that you that you make a point to to do that in your show as well thanks yeah um uh that's great to hear because yeah that's something that i really try and do um it's like say yeah i'm a musician of color and i didn't really get as many opportunities but yeah there are so many musicians of color because it's not castle music it's it's everywhere you know in in when we look at creating diversity and equality and inclusion, it's, it's, it must be in everything. It's not just composers, music, it has to be musicians, performers, administrators, radio programmers, mm-hmm. you know, as we create diversity, it's kind of got to be in every different aspect of the industry. Um, and it's not just the people who are playing, who are creating music, it's the people who are, in, well, interpreting it as well. Um, so yeah, it's something that I kind I always try and do as much as possible. Sometimes it's difficult when you have a show that's sort of championing specifically focused on female composers. So it is looking at creating quality in composers. It's difficult to find to include as many as I would like. Um, but I'm always looking. It's like I always prefer to keep um, to play uh, recordings by musicians of color if possible as many as possible yeah hmm. um so what are what do you see as the biggest um issues with making this more widespread making the promotion of composers of color and performers of color more widespread i think i think there's a few issues i think the main one of the i think a lot of it does stem from the fact that the classical music establishment is predominantly white predominantly old middle-aged conservatives and they're um, such they're pretty much reluctant to change this is what we've been doing for you know 100 200 300 years why 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 do we have to mm-hmm. um why do we have to change and because the history is so well known it's been so it's been so told and retold as this one specific story that the idea that anything else happened, like there were actually women, there were actually black men, there were actually uh, Chinese composers that aren't in the story. Like, well, then there's, there's got to be a reason, you know, that that's a lot of the excuses. They're like, oh, then I have one person tell me that women's music is all just pale imitations of men's music. It will no, it's not. And lots of, and lots of men were really influenced by women you know, so there are so many women and men of colour that in that were involved in making music over the centuries, and they've not been told. So, like, so as we kind of, as we work to make this more inclusive, we need to kind of acknowledge like the, the sexism and racism that they the reasons that they've been ignored. It's not just because their music wasn't good enough, 
um, it wasn't worthy. Um, so yeah, I kind of yeah, that's a that's a big yeah, it's a it's a big struggle. But I think yeah, it's one it kind of continuing to work on as more people you know get you know as more people find out um, how many women there were, get exposed to more women, more black men composers it's all kind of kind of gradually start to see a change mm-hmm. and like like you said you you didn't even know there were female composers i think that's something that i hear a lot actually is that people just didn't realize that there even were women in history writing music yeah i, I was 30 like, I, I i was 30 <laughs> when i discovered my first female composer I, wow. it's horrific i i i studied music for 10 years i, I started playing piano when i was seven and like I didn't know there were women until I was thirty. Um and the only black male composer I knew was of course Scott Joplin, who yeah. Like, but yeah, no WG Still, no Adolphus Hellstalk, and nothing. So yeah, it's just so and it's just seen as so normal, but it makes no sense. Like, sorry, the world is half women. With like, what why would we not compose music? Like it doesn't make any sense. The world's twenty 25% people, way more like black people, women, people of color. Why, why are they not composing classical music? Like it doesn't just make sense that only this like, tiny proportion of people write music. So I think one of the sad things, at least here in America, for many institutions, I'm not going to say all, but women, people of color, um, They've almost been wiped out of, you know, our textbooks. I went through six years of musical education and not once was I taught about a single person of color or, you know, a female composer beyond like, oh, this person existed over here. But this and it's only ever relation in a relation to a a male composer. If a woman composer is ever addressed in education, it's always because there was some type of relationship with a more prominent male composer. And it's just, it's crazy. And like you were talking about um, with music, as far as just, I think we almost have like a gender bias, even to our classical literature, Um, racial bias, gender bias, because you put Beethoven or any other one of these, you know, very, very famous European white composers, uh, it's going to get the people to come just based on the name alone. Even if the music, you know, probably isn't that great or might not be the best thing for that situation, it's what's going to get people in the seats because they know if they put a woman composer on there or a person of color that they don't have that name recognition, then all of a sudden, oh, well, we might not sell tickets. It's no longer about the art form and you know, exploring different, different ideas in different cultures. It's, it's boiled down to, you know, how are we going to get people in seats? We're so focused on not losing the art that we've held so dear, even though it's a fraction of what's out there that it's almost like they're unwilling to change because they're just scared. I'd love to, I'd love to have an orchestra where you know, I'm going to do this one day where I have an orchestra that people just come to listen to music. I give them a concert. This is the, you know, this is the theme that we're playing, but I don't tell them a single composer we have or piece on the liter mm. like piece of literature. They come to listen to music. And then through that oral experience, they're a, hopefully they would be able to form an opinion free of gender, free of racial bias, free of all of those things. And then you could kind of, you know, use that as an education of, oh, I bet all of you probably thought this was a male composer when in reality it was a female composer and it wasn't a white female composer. It was, you know, an African-American female composer who has written all this amazing music that you've never heard because it doesn't sell tickets or they think it won't sell tickets. That's the worst thing. I think we're in a really good period, especially right now here in America with everything that's going on to really open up and kind of get rid of that, you know, stale idea of classical literature from the past. I'm not saying it's not important. Obviously there was some great literature written at that time and it's, you know, well thought out and everything. But if you just sit and focus on the same, like being handed a piece of paper 
and told that these are the composers that you have to know. These are the pieces of music you have to know. And there's not a single female or, you know, person of color on the list. There's a problem because, okay, how can these be the only pieces that I have to know to be a successful conductor? What? Well, yeah, I mean, oh, my God. So you raised so many points um, <laughs> there. Um yeah, so, okay, where, where can I start with this? So, firstly, you talked about um, how only female composers were mentioned in relation to men. And, uh, yeah, it's a serious problem. And, like, this year, last year with Cla- uh, Clara Schumann, 200th birthday. Um, yeah, so she, she was an absolutely phenomenal composer. And, yet people are only talking to her, saying, oh, she was Robert Schumann's wife. She was the wife of Robert Schumann. And they did that with Shirley Graham Du Bois as well. She, like she was the wife of W.E. Du Bois. Like she married him when she was 54, all right, and it was her second marriage. It's like hardly the most important thing that happened, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, it's it's a real problem how they kind of only talk about women in relation to men. And um, but when you kind of, and that's one thing that I've really, really tried to not do hmm. at all. So on my show, I. I try not to mention their relationships. And if I do, I mention it incidentally. Um, and only if there's a real need. So like Ruth Gipps, I paid her on the show a few months ago. She had a, um, she was married and she wrote um, a piece for her son, which is awesome, by the way, Ruth Gipps Hawking Churto, it's awesome. Um, but yeah, just, yeah, there's no point. Yeah, you don't have to just say, oh, she was, Ruth Gipps, she was married. That's not, very interesting really lots of people married um yeah so yeah you mentioned that I think it's a problem and then you mentioned how they're the only musical education yeah textbooks only mention white composers I think classical music in particular there's it's sort of shoved in as this like there are these few classical music gods and this is it and these are what's important this is what you need to know like you say and this is all that classical music is. And you mentioned the sort of name dropping that people go to hear Beethoven. Most of the time, people don't even know what they're going to listen to, I think, half the time. Um, they're just, even people that don't know about classical music just assume, oh, because it's Beethoven, it must be it. It must be, this. these are the composers and musicians you talk about. Um, and I kind of feel that that's why, that's why a lot of people get turned off, because actually, it's really not that good. If I'm on it, like, I personally don't like Mozart at all. Like, I really can't stand him. Uh, give me Mariana Martinez any day. But, and I think, and I have actually, I have two, I have two amazing friends um, who don't really listen to classical music, but started listening to my show. And they're like, oh, wow, it's really cool. There's a lot more, it's a lot more diverse and it's a lot more interesting. And I think that that's kind of a key thing that we need to tap into, that actually... Classical music, there is a lot more going on there, and a lot of more people would find it a lot more interesting if you played some of this other thing. Because at the moment, you've got this narrow view that this is all there is, and these two men from 200 years ago wrote music, and this is what's important, and this is what you have to know. And it doesn't work for a lot of people. It doesn't work for people in the classical music industry. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for my friends who don't know anything about classical music, but know that they don't like that. And if that's all you're exposing them to, then we have, of course, then people are not going to like it. You're not going to sell tickets because, and then you're only, you're only selling tickets for that few, that tiny fraction of the audience who keep going back to hear Beethoven, hear Mozart, hear Bach, because that's what they like. And that's fine. And that works. If they like it, that's great. But for all the rest of the people who are completely sick of it, and don't even know what else there is as well and think this is all there is you know we have to we have to diversify you know this is what's going to sell tickets um you know by playing more chinese composers playing more japanese playing more african playing um venezuelan playing like you say florence price wg still samuel college taylor uh erilyn mullen chen yi um you know, this is what's going to draw people in because classical music is not just this one. It's not just a one trick pony. There's a lot of lot more else going on. Um, 
And like, and you mentioned the boards are mostly older and white. Um, as we are, well, t- 20 years into the 21st century, um, and we've had, how long has it been? Like Facebook's what, 15 years old now? Something like that. You know, we've got video conferencing. <laughs> you know, there's so many new ways to engage with people. And I don't think the classical music industry uses that enough. Like, oh, we're not going to sell tickets. Like, so get on social media, talk about, you know, give them free, give them freebies, put, put things on YouTube, put things on Facebook saying, this is awesome and we love it. And this is what's amazing. And this was what was awesome 200 years ago. And, you know, talk about, say, Joseph Boulon or uh, Chiquinho Gonzaga and how amazing they were. Um, because that's what people like. People, especially now, younger audiences are using social media for everything. Um, so if by not using these, you know, new, new technologies, you know, you are going to alienate a a huge sector of society. Um, that's, that's another, yeah, that's another issue. I think that will help to sort of talk when you talk about like, oh, we're going to sell tickets. It's like, okay. Um, the other thing of course, is that you're only not just the people not just the people that are not particularly interested in Beethoven or um, don't know anything about classical music, but the fact is that if you're white people, as Brandon Keith Brown says, white people playing music for whites by whites, it's not really relevant. It's not relevant to a huge portion of society. So all the people that it, that are women, you're not making music that's relevant to them because it's just men. You're not making music that's relevant to people of color. But if you were to play all that music by women and people of color and yeah, LGBTQ noises, etc., you're making music that's relevant to everyone as opposed to relevant to just a few people. And as we kind of in, talk about, talk and try and get more diversity and in, inclusivity on our programs, that's something that we need to address. That that actually by doing this, we will make it relevant to a lot more people. Yeah, I think it's, it's building a habit for orchestras of, like, this is not something, um, you know, we just do in February. This is not something that we we only have one overture, like, um, just, uh, yeah, make, making it a habit that, that we regularly have um, composers of color and and women composers as part of our repertoire it's it's not like one special concert that we put in the middle of the season when when ticket sales are down anyway um that's that's actually something i see very often like they only take chances on the time frame in the season where there's the least amount of attendance like that time frame from you know January to March when it's cold, the older audiences are probably less likely to come out because of the weather. That's when they program these things. And it, that it just seems cheap because it's like, hold on, why not program this at the beginning of the concert or why not program this at the end for, you know, instead of doing Mahler for the 30th time, you you know, it's like, just because it might be your biggest concert, but that doesn't mean you have to play the biggest music. You just, I feel like those concerts are the ones where you need to make the biggest statements and not shoving all your statements into the concert you're hoping no one comes to. Or, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's disappointing. Yeah. And that's the same thing. And to be honest, like, this is why I don't often go to classical music concerts because I just don't, I just don't want to hear all this stuff. I only go to stuff that, you know, that has women composers and black male composers. Um, I just, I'm not going to go if you are going to play another recording, uh, another performance of Beethoven 6 or, Beethoven, or Mozart's number 40 or whatever. I'm just not going to go. So actually, yeah, you're losing audiences as well, guys. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, what you said is right. If you make a bigger statement, then more people are actually going to see it. More people are going to be exposed to, say, Cecile Charminard or George Britower. And more people are like, oh, wow, this is actually interesting. It's not just the same old classic stuff you know they're doing something interesting yeah and even like in the marketing why do you have to market it as oh look at us we're we have a female composer on this concert everybody you know it's a female composer why not just put her on the program and treat her like you would every other male composer 
let the audience come without the expectation of, oh, I'm coming to hear a, a woman composer. You know, let the people who don't expect to hear a woman composer come in and then go, oh, this is a woman? I didn't expect that. But okay, that was really great. You know, I, I don't know. It it goes into that, like, oh, I'm always terrified, especially being, you know, a white male, <laughs> of programming in a way that I feel is helping, but in reality, I'm just blind. Um, I, just because that tokenism that is so often like you're programming this and it feels like you're programming it just to fill that diversity slot in your season. Um, just trying to stay away from that and program in a, a way that you don't have that, that it is just as natural as everything else. Um, I, I don't know. I think that's really important. But again, as a, as a white male, I don't really have that experience that, you know, people of color do. So while that might make me feel good, how does it make them feel? You know, does it make them feel like a token or do they feel uplifted by this? And do, do they feel like, you know, you're able to make some kind of progress, you know, for them? So I'm, I'm wondering if there's if there's a balance, because I would the, the question you said about um, whether you want to make it clear that we have a female composer or a composer of color. Um, I think the two extremes would be to say, this is a concert with a female and, and just don't say anything about it. And I think if you go to either of those two extremes, you have the problem of either this is the only thing or we're not even talking about it. But I think somewhere in the middle where we can make it clear that we are, that, you know, that this is a normal part of our repertoire and that's what we're trying to do. But without, you know, where, where is, that balance between tokenism and trying to do something to move towards that, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's difficult. And I think obviously the point is that you, we that's the point that we want to get to, yeah. but we don't have to talk about any female composers that like you say. That is the point that we want to get to, that we don't have to mention they're women or black men because they're just there. But obviously until we're at that point, there has to be, well, possibly has to be some kind of, uh, concession in between um tokenism i always find it's very obvious if it's a token like you always see token points like they're always on international women's day like if you're doing a concert yeah. of all, all women on all international women's day that's obviously tokenism you're obviously just doing it because of international women's day and you don't really interest in that <laughs> if you're pregnant or likely if they're at the start of concerts women always yeah. start of concerts um and there'll be a five minute piece um and then that's it Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so yeah, again, I don't know if sort of mentioning them incidentally is kind of a thing, but in that's why I try and do in my show, and I'm not sure if that would work as well on programs. But saying saying oh, Cecile Charmanan and she, um, talking about them on say the program notes about what that uh, sort of programming. I don't mm -hmm. know. If that's something that could work yeah because i would again i think you don't want to hide it you want to highlight it but you also want to try to make it not like not like a, a big deal um what what one of the orchestras i'm working with what they're doing is is they just have the composer portraits for everything um so we have the all the composers for our season and what our what our marketing person wanted to show is that we do you know you you can look and you can see beethoven and mozart in there but then you can look and you can also see Florence Price's face. You can see that she's that she's a black woman. Um, so I mean, maybe, maybe that's somewhere in the middle where we're not saying, "Look, we have black women on our programs," but you're also making it clear that that there is diversity in this season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I kind of struggle with is the fact. I mean, as long as you, for mostly women composers, it's easier if you put their full names. Yeah. Uh, it's usually easier, especially in, and if their names aren't necessarily clear, you have pronouns, um, which generally pr are pretty easy. So it's, yeah, it's easier to do it with women. It's harder to do it with uh, people of colour because if you just put their names, you can't necessarily see. Um, same with like, necessarily non-binary composers or something. But, yeah, I think I think people, putting people's full names... 
I think that's the start. And actually, composer portraits, that sounds like a really good idea just seeing. Um, so you can see who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, I mean, and we're doing it for everybody. So so our first program is Beethoven and Louis Ferranc. So we have their two pictures there on the on the on the you know on the on the advertisements. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, yeah, it's um it's an interesting one, but yeah, I think some yeah putting people's full names I feel on on the concert programs is a good idea. Um, yeah. Taking uh, so it's, it's always difficult. I think the more the thing is if it, if it's clearly only just once, I think that's the problem. I was having this conversation with other people. It's like it's fine. It's not so much if it's if it's if you're just doing one concert and it's clearly just like one coffee mug and that's it. But if you're doing say twenty concerts in a year, twenty um twenty programs or whatever, and you're continuing to do it, then it's not seen as so much of a tokenism. Yeah, you know? that's the intention behind it, which you're yeah. leading to. So yeah. um depending on how and that is continuing because, like you say, what you mentioned before, it is so much just about IWD or Black History Month or whatever. But mm-hmm. if you're if you're showing that actually, this is this isn't just uh, one day for us. This isn't this isn't just this one thing. Um, the more you show that you are actually having a commitment to people. So, so most of our listeners are, are conductors early in their career or are established in their career. And one question that's come up a couple times is, is whether an individual performer should focus on reaching into as many, um, as many composers as they can get. Um, I think something like what you do with your show is you're, you're trying to grab as, as many, as much variety as you can, or if they should pick one or two composers, you know, get really familiar with their music and kind of champion that one person's music through their life what do you think or is, is or is maybe the answer somewhere in the middle yeah i think i think yeah it's that's a tough one i think it depends yeah i think it probably does come somewhere in the middle because i think so one thing that i've found with my show because like you say i've so much because there's just so much out there yeah i'm just like there's just so much and i want to play it all and i can't and i've only got six i can only play six pieces on one show so i'm constantly like i want to play this and i don't have time um so i'm just like oh there's just too much diversity um out there um so yeah i think focusing so i think yeah there is definitely merit like only Jordan Smith is just focusing on Florence Price. Um, what I have seen with Florence Price, which is not a separate criticism of Jordan Smith at all, or his work and that the work that's been doing with them, but what that's led to is is an exceptionalizing of Florence Price. So a lot of so obviously Jordan Ryan Smith, Marquise Carter, Raylena Brown, they've done been doing Samantha A, they've been doing absolutely phenomenal work. Um but a lot of other organizations, um, mainstream or companies and orchestras have been using it to just like, oh well we'll just play this one brilliant yeah, this yeah. one black female composer called Florence Price, we'll play her and that's it. It's like, okay, but she was just one, like it's brilliant and she was phenomenal. She was one of many. She was one of, like Nora Holt, Helen Hagen, Irene Britton Smith, Julia Perry, Sonoma Powell Perry, Andy Smith Moore. I can go on. There's a lot more of them. So depending on who you're doing it, some it can depending on who you're championing, it can lead to exceptionalizing. Um, but yeah, I think picking one composer if you can do it and then delve really deeply into their music and life um, as a performer. Yeah, I, I think I think that works. And maybe maybe just for different different people um, do different things. And if, as long as you've got a variety of people doing different things, so if some people are focusing deeply on, say, Julia Perry or Joseph Boulan or Cecile Charmanel's piano music, and some people are kind of doing a variety. You can see that there's the more, and if you're listening to uh, different people going to different programs you can hear that there is a lot more just by having those two different approaches um mm-hmm. yeah it, it's a tough one but yeah I think, I think focusing on for a performer anyway specifically because i know a lot of performers do tend to focus on one composer and it and it i think yeah it does make their music more alive because you're 
so deeply mm. involved in their art. Um, and I always do think, oh, I would love, there are so many pieces that I would love to repeat. So I'm like, oh my God, it's so good. I want to play this again. I'm like, yeah. ah, don't have time. So yeah, possibly, yeah. So yeah, I think somewhere, somewhere in between. I'm not saying that my show has it completely perfect or gets it right. Um, but um, yeah, I could probably stand to use some more uh, repeating. <laughs> have you repeated any, any pieces on the show? I, uh, pieces, no, well, te- okay, actually, yeah, well, I've inadvertently done it twice, there was these two random composers that I accidentally played them twice, because, yeah, it's been two years, I've played 300 composers, as like 600 pieces, I can't remember them all, um, <laughs> but I inadvertently did them twice, um, I played two different arrangements of Maturo Shima once, because they were just so good, um, and like one was like a piano trio and one was a saxophone. Um, yeah, I have so deliberately. No, I don't think so. But yeah, like I said, yeah, the first year I was doing a Florence Price, um, fun with Florence Day feature. Mm-hmm. I paid her. I did. I paid her every month. Um, so there were a couple of composers that I was. I played, I repeated her. I did, I played, I definitely played the first movement of her symphony number one and her second movement, but I didn't play individual movements. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah. So now could you walk us through putting the show together? You know, how much, how much time does each episode take? What is it like, you know, digging through all those, all those recordings and then picking just the couple that you're, that you're going to feature? Um, okay, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a roller coaster for me. It's it's always it's always fun. It takes a long time. It takes about twelve, ten, twelve hours to do each show. Um, and it depends. I kind of I usually start with which composer I'm going to do because I do a feature called Hershey Written, and then once I have that composer, I can work out who else I'm going to play because I like to get, obviously, like the different centuries and uh, different um, skin colours and ethnicities so and nationalities. So that depends who I'm going to play. Um, I mean, mainly I'm a storyteller. That's kind of how I always like to think of myself. So mm. when the composer that I'm telling the story of in history written, I try and do, like, three different com- compositions from, like, the beginning career to the end of and the middle um and i try and unless it's not possible for say um i generally try and do different places like i'll have like one piano piece one orchestral piece one string quartet or something just three different types of compositions so you can see what kind of all the different kind of things that she did um so yeah i kind of start with how i've researched like all different stuff about her um and they go really deep in the internet you kind of you kind of have to um and then yeah and that that's always exciting for me I love researching uh, that's when something I really like so yeah once I've kind of got that and then get a story together then I pick uh different albums and if there are some new releases that are good um I work on which ones I'm going to play and that now it's more about making it racially equitable. So I'm like, okay, who, if it's a black composer, um, finding like which Asian composer do I want to play? And if I've got like 18th century, 19th century, 20th century, um, getting a contemporary composer and then working out the timings, uh, how long, cause I've only got, cause it's about, it's a 90 minute show. So it's usually about one, it's usually about 80 minutes. Uh, 75 minutes of music mm-hmm. and then depending on so yeah so yeah it involves a lot of research to kind of working out and obviously kind of having like a light piece like a light kind of sort of crash bang wall up at the beginning and a nice sort of ending piece uh, and then some like intense like larger things in the middle as well so yeah, it's about as much variety in everything else. Um, I always um, 
generally what happens is it's it, I pick a composer and they're like brilliant I've got an idea and then like, two days by three you're like so this isn't quite working I'm I don't like the way this is feeling and then I'm like and then the next day I'll come back and I'm like oh but she was related to this composer or she knew this composer and then it'll be I'll be like brilliant I've got an idea so yeah it, for me it's like this whole world goes off like um like inspiration and then uh sort of being stuck then another inspiration <laughs> and then kind of putting it all together and then see getting the structure so like I say I always start with like a light piece in the composer section and the composers that she knew um various and like I say I do this I'm doing this eight set of contemporary composers so I kind of do that um and then I play other contemporary music so yeah it's about getting variety all the way through it um and then seeing how it all sounds um so yeah that's that's yeah that's my main it's yeah it's a long kind of long complicated of convoluted process that kind of eventually <laughs> winds up and, oh. and then and then often I'll have this entire show planned and then I just like and then I'll just hear this one piece I'm like, oh my god I've got to play this which where am I going to do this so then I'm like okay who can I who can I not play and then yeah. kind of we revamp the last the whole show <laughs> the last minute which tends to happen that's my favorite process and trying to trying to include some famous white male composers every week it's almost like you have to program a, an actual concert for every single episode you have to go through like a very rigorous thoughtful process to pick each one you probably do a lot more work in figuring out the music for your program than most conductors do <laughs> <laughs> yeah um I don't, I don't know i've not really speaking to many conductors about how, how they program but yeah it is like a yeah it's a 90 minute show um and it is kind of like a concert because I do tend to play like a five minute sort of opener at the beginning. And then, I mean, I only play movements of symphonies cause it's only 90 minutes. Like I'm not playing like a whole symphony or a whole concerto or yeah. something, but I do play one movement of something. So yeah. And then I end with something that's like in fun in general. So, yeah. Yeah. One, one thing that I've, uh, that's come to mind during this talk, you mentioned that you had some friends that, that really enjoyed it who were not regular classical music listeners and i and i think your show it would actually be a really really good introduction to classical music for 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 new people because you've got that variety of um of length and style and time period and orchestration um and you know it would it would it would be emphasizing right away for some new listeners that there is a much greater variety to composers thanks yeah i think it kind of (laughs) It hasn't sort of like worked out, but yeah, I do tend to. If you didn't know, I can see that if you yeah, if you didn't know anything about classical music, you'd immediately hear all this, this huge range of stuff, which mm-hmm. is what I try and do. So yeah, <clears throat> it's been fun. Yeah, like I said, my two my the two friends I have are specifically non-classical friends, they've been enjoying it because they're like, oh, it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's been much I think the only questions that we haven't kind of covered already would be the lasting lessons. Um, which, which which angle did you want to come at that one from? Oh, so I only have one. Um, there's only one piece of advice. Um, seven years ago, a friend of mine told me, um, I don't know if he was specifically giving me advice, but anyway, he, he told me that you shouldn't find something you love. You should find something you angry about and you get angry about, and because that, that's what you're gonna want to work on. That's what you're gonna work to change. And I didn't really kind of it stuck with me, but I didn't really do anything with it. It was just sort of there. And I thought about it last year, and I was like, this is how I've based my entire career. <laughs> this is everything that I do all the time. It's just because that, that's why I started the show. I was really angry that there were, that no female composers were being programmed. So I was like, well, I'm going to do it. And every time I see something that makes me angry, I react to it and I do something myself, even something really stupid. Like, I don't know if you saw, like, do you remember at the beginning of lockdown, everyone was doing these sort of quarantine houses and composer mm-hmm. quarantines. And I, there was this one going around that was just all white male composers. And it was all just like Beethoven, male, uh, Mozart, Berlioz, etc. So it's like, I'm just going to do, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a better one. So I did one that was like gender balance and 
appreciate it. And it was great. And everyone was like, yes, this is awesome. So yeah, it's kind of, it was, it was really weird at the time, but like, yeah, actually that is, that is something you get. The other thing is about it is that if you find something you love, you don't really have anything to say about it. Actually, you just have to, you, you just keep saying, well, I like this. I love this. I love this. It's brilliant. Yeah. There's but, no, there's like, no change to happen. Right. Yeah. Whereas when you're finding something angry, you find finding it's something to talk about because, and it's something like I do, I love classical music, but you know, there's a lot that kind of really annoys me about the industry. So I have a lot to say about it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's something that's kind of, yeah, it's always stuck with me and um, inadvertently something I kind of face my sort of, yeah, ethos yeah. around, mm-hmm. sort of face my life around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then we we usually end the show with asking for hidden gems, but um, but if it's okay with you, I would I would just tell everybody to go to go um, to go listen to your show. So where can they, you know, where where can our listeners go go here to the Daffodil Perspective? Uh, so the Daffodil Perspective is every two weeks on Mixcloud. Uh, the website is thedaffodilperspective.com, and there's a link. Um, I should mention this too, actually, because I'm building, I'm finally building a brand new website, which is very cool. exciting. Yeah. And um, it's uh, getting built and changes uh, happening to it as we speak. Um, so it's looking really good. Um, and yeah, there's going to be, yeah, lots more to find out, um, including, yeah. So like, it's, yeah, we've talked about how much research I do. Um, and I do, I do a lot of research and I've done all the hard work. So none of you have to it's going to be great um i'm going to have lots of uh research bundles and products and lots of like lists and different things available on the website for people to buy at reasonable prices so people mm-hmm. can easily research uh and find information on female composers and uh well it's probably mostly going to be female composers but we'll see um yeah. we'll see see what's there um do we do but yeah lots there's gonna be lots more information easily available so yeah check it out uh, the daffodil perspective.com you say yeah you can listen to the show and find the track lists on there as well and you do some consulting as well yes i do repertoire consulting i do guest speaking so yeah if you are looking for music on female composers black composers i can con- i do consulting um if you're interested um yes 50 60 shows in um, you know um, you know a couple pieces yeah just a few so just for my curiosity probably my favorite genre is concertos what are some like really out there concertos that you found and really liked that you've never heard before until you found them through your research oh my gosh okay um so many okay you're gonna have to give me a second i'm gonna because i'm gonna um, you're going to have to edit this part out, by the way, for like two seconds. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to be like, um, every time someone's asked me this, I'm like, blanking. Okay, who? So, well, um, obviously, uh, Clara Schumann's piano concerto is like, essential. We did that last year side by side with, with the Robert Schumann concerto. And I was like, wow, I like the Clara way better. Yeah, Clara. It's ba- basically, yeah, the greatest Schumann. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh Donna Suess, Donna Suess, Suess, I can never pronounce her name, American composer, a contemporary of Gershwin. Uh, she's got a concerto for two pianos, which is amazing. Oh, Mariana Bettini's piano concerto and clarinet concerto. Um, I'm a clarinetist, so, um, yeah, I always have a spot, a soft spot for clarinet. Um, but, yeah, Mariana Bettini's clarinet concerto is really, really cool. Uh, she's, like classical romantic cusp kind of composer she's amazing um oh um oh no that's symphony um louise from chaos um uh dora bright piano concerto um she's a british composer uh, early 20th century and um, absolutely fantastic um oh yeah em- emily mayer a german romantic composer absolutely amazing um i stumbled across her on spotify randomly and i have fallen in love with her so she's fantastic yes um have you seen her new uh, there's a new album of her two world premiere recordings of her first and second symphonies it was only released a couple of months ago 
Oh, no, I, I've only listened to the fourth and fifth. Yeah, her, this new world recording, but it's very uh, CPO, I think CPO, uh, NDR, Radio Philharmonic. It's absolutely amazing. First and second symphonies, highly recommend it. Um, so obviously, yes, yeah, so I've already been obsessing about Florence Price, but yeah, her, her piano concerto in one movement um, is absolutely amazing. Um Henriette Bosman's, so she wrote two cello con, two cello concertos and one cello concertino, um, which is amazing. Uh, she's an early 20th century Dutch composer. Um, absolutely amazing. She did also a really good piano concertino and flute concertino as well. Um, oh, Germain Tafer, flute concerto. It's absolutely amazing. French composer. She was the only female member of Lassis with uh, uh, Poulenc and uh, Milau and Jury. Yeah, um, but she was. She was. Yeah, she was amazing. Um, who else have we got? Who do I absolutely adore? This is this is Luke in a candy shop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, uh, oh, there's a um, there's an entire CD, um, a really good flute concertos by Sharon Bezley. Um, uh, that's fantastic. Um, it's a uh, Sally Sally Beamish. Pretty much anything by Sally Beamish is really good. Actually, she's a living female, uh, living composer, British composer. Um, she's in like piano concertos, flute concertos. Um, yeah, spell spellbound, flute, uh, spellbound. That's the name of the album. Flute concertos. Uh, it's Sally Beamish, Sophia Gubedalina, and Mary Takano. She's a Japanese composer. Amazing. Uh, by Sharon Besley. Um, that's really amazing. Any horn concertos by chance? Hmm? <laughs> Any? Any horn concertos? Oh, I already uh, did. You not? Uh, I only met uh, Ruth Gipps horn concerto. It's the greatest horn concerto in the world. It's so good. It's amazing. It was like, it's from 1963, I think. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. Um, that's the only one I can think of. Um, but yeah, um, it's like essential listening. Like, seriously, get it on your next program. It's so good. Well, that's a, that's quite a bit to listen to, so I'll let us move on. But I might be sending you an email later. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can send you a list. I'll yeah, I'll gather a list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Was there anything else you wanted to bring up or talk about, or anything you you wish we would have discussed? So yeah, I should probably yeah, my mention my pledges made, promises kept series that I'm kind of mm-hmm. doing. So yeah, like I said at the beginning, um, since the Black Lives Matter, I kind of realised how, um racist my show was internalized racism and how sort of whitewashed it was and how that wasn't really good enough um so now the show is really very specifically like um including a lot of uh people of color on every show and it's not just who i the composers that i'm featuring the musicians that i'm featuring although i have um already uh, created a music submissions policy, which you can find on the website. Um, so I'm just kind of, at the moment, I'm reevaluating like all the policies who I'm partnering and collaborating with um, and which things I'm doing. So that's, that's still ongoing. That's pretty, that's one thing that I'm quite excited to do because it's not just about my work. Um, it's about if I'm partnering with racist and sexist organisations as well and if I'm showcasing their work. You know, it's not really, it's not really okay. It's um, uh, my integrity and the show as well. Um, so that's really important that I'm show- showcasing organisations uh, with the same kind of ideals as me. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. still ongoing. But yeah, pledges made, promises kept. There's a lot. There's been a lot of changes on the show, and yeah, I'm quite excited for that. Well, Elizabeth, thank you, thank you so much for joining us. I'm, I'm glad we could, uh, we could make this happen. Yeah, thank you for. Uh, Having me, yeah. One one thing that kind of is the last couple of years has brought up with me is lots of people sort of thank me for the show and say they tell me that I appreciate the work I'm doing, which is great. But I think a lot of it is sort of realizing it's not just one person kind of. I think it's um, 
it's really important that sort of everyone works even if it's everyone does what little they can the steps that they can individually make you know to work on more equality and diversity that's one thing that kind Mm. of see a lot so yeah um i always like to say like encourage as many people to do um to be as uh, diverse and it yeah like i say it's not just about the composers and musicians featuring but the people that you're talking to um who we consider leaders in the field etc um and the more the more exposure women and people of color get in everywhere i guess um yeah just the more the more it's seen the more it's normalized the better mm-hmm. yeah absolutely again like i said earlier i think just making a habit of, of making it normal and yeah exactly normalizing it and and I, I understand absolutely that you know actions are more important than just saying oh we're going to be more inclusive and um yeah this year has really i don't know emphasized the fact that it's not just enough to acknowledge it like it's our job to literally make action on that decision, you know, actually go forward with how am I going to, it's not just addressing the problem, but how are you going to fix it? Or what can you do to, you know, get that momentum going and start the change. And so like really with my career, I've, I think I'm kind of at a turning point myself and just like what I want from it. And like talking to you has been very helpful and enlightening. And just because I really want to start focusing less on just classical music and kind of making it a bit more about like, okay, it is music, but what, what can we say beyond the music? What does the music represent? You know, how can we use music as a force for change? And so that's kind of what I really want to get to. And I probably won't be popular, but that's okay. <laughs> I think you'll be surprised because it was one of the, when I started doing the show, I was like, I'm not really sure what's going to happen. I'm not sure how many is people going to like it. Are they going to respond to it or anything? And then since I've been doing it, you, you kind of see that there's actually a lot of sort of people, um, you know, doing similar things and kind of having similar thoughts to you. And it's kind of weird that you're kind of building a community and you, you didn't really know existed. But yeah, the more you kind of, speak out and talk about things that you're passionate about and interested in want to do you'll find other people like even you know like halfway around the world we're chatting and you're like oh yeah, yeah we want to we, we're working towards the same thing um yeah so I think yeah there's sort of a lot of it and not not enough of it has got into like mainstream you know like BBC and New York Philharmonic etc but you know um lots of people everywhere are kind of working towards so yeah um yeah, you might find, yeah, you might be surprised, I think. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for, for your show. I, I um, you know, I, I listen to it almost every week, and um, I'm I'm, I'm going to start sending it to more people. I think what you're doing is really important. Hmm. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me. It's been really interesting to chat to you guys, and good luck with everything. Yeah. And you as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podium Time. If you'd like to get more from the podcast, head over to patreon.com slash podiumtimepod to learn more about becoming a member of our PT family, an assistant conductor, or a donor to the podcast. And don't forget to join our inner circle group on Facebook. Links for everything are in the show notes below or at podiumtimepod.com. Mendelssohn's Italian Symphony was performed by the Czech National Symphony Orchestra, and Beethoven's Egmont Overture was performed by Stefano Ligorazzi. (laughs) ¶¶